Good morning. Well, what a difference a year makes. A year ago, we stood up here, and I think, Andy, there were 34 people in the room. Uh, praise God to see this ministry. It used to be called Joy Fellowship. It's now called Joy Ministries on the banner behind, and it used to stand for those that have been around the church for a while. Let's test your memory. Just Older Youth, and it now stands for? Skill testing question. Jesus, others, and yourself. So just older youth to Jesus, others, and yourself. Isn't that the right order? So the banner that is behind me, thank you for the Joy Ministries leadership team to put that together. Praise God that you're here today. My name is Chris Ullman. I'm the executive pastor for West Highland. That's not really my most important title. I'm a husband, 30 years, December 16th this year. My wife is Dawn. We met, we were married within three months. Do not teach that to your children or grandchildren. <laughs> we certainly share that story quietly around them. 30 years later, we have four children. Uh, our oldest son is a pastor. Our second oldest son knows the Lord. Our oldest daughter is married to an assistant pastor in Atlanta. And our daughter, Olivia, who's age 11, came to know the Lord September 22nd, 2020, while we were quarantining. Yes, praise God. Thank you. So, you know, that's what matters, isn't it? It's our hearts are burdened for the lost, and it starts in our own families and our children and our grandchildren. And so I'm kind of in the way of the main speakers here, so I'll be relatively brief. But I want to share with you from God's word two exhortations today. So if you have Bibles, I'm going to get you to flip them and turn to Second Timothy, and I'll get there eventually. But I want to give you some remarks. So my wife, Dawn, had the honor of leading Olivia to the Lord September 22nd, 2020. We were quarantining for the third time. I'm good at it now. Just when you get good at it, they take it away, right? So we've quarantined and we've been arrived canned up to more than the average family. But that night when Olivia came to know the Lord, she wrote it in her Bible and we wrote it in our hearts as her parents. For those that have kids and grandkids that know the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. That night, she wrote it. I took a picture of it. We shared it. But then, as the weeks and months went on, we saw evidence of it in the fruit of her life. She loves God's word. She's going to be baptized. And as a parent, there's no greater joy. What does it say in God's word? The three... John 1, 4. It is so true. Let me read to you from God's word. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. As we walk up our stairs every night, that is what flanks our hall and what flanks our hearts. We pray for our grandchildren, which we now have three. So I'm in the club. I'm on the sign. I match. And I've, you're going to hear in a little bit that the average grandparent comes to be a grandparent at right the age when we did, 
which was late 40s. And so here we are, fast forward four years later, and we have three grandchildren, most recently born August 19th of this year. The average grandchild in our family is 1,700 kilometers away. What does that mean? It means we use all our vacation time to go see kids and grandkids, and we're thankful to do so. Tonight, I'm teaching upstairs in an Identity in Christ class, uh, and I gotta tell you, I'm actually struggling to wanna be there tonight because our grandchildren are coming to our house. And uh, so as soon as it's done, I'm gonna be like Fred Flintstone off the dinosaur, out of there and a home to see Bjorn and Piper, our grandchildren, ages three and two. Our son, who's a pastor, is in town for one night only. And so we are gonna maximize that one night and try to keep them tomorrow morning as long as we can. Godly grandparents matter. That's the theme of what I wanted to say to you today. The Lord has used a godly grandmother in my life, maybe in your life. I grew up, my parents are not Christians. So my father and mother were not my godly influences, but Nana was. Nana would come to our house, maybe you're the Nana in your family or whatever you're called, and she would bring a Bible, and she would read Scripture, and she'd get us to memorize it, and she'd give us treats. And uh, my brother, who's a non, not a Christian either, burdens my heart, 10 years older, said to me roughly four months ago in my office when I gave him another Bible here at the church, he said, I have Nana's Bible. Nana's dead, but God's Word is not. She wrote in the Bible to Ken, a note that he's never thrown away. He's thrown away a lot of things. They purged a lot of things, but he cannot throw away this book. And he's kept it and kept her prayers in his heart, and he's kept her words on the shelf. And so I encouraged him. It was an old King James version. I said, here's another version that maybe it's a little easier for you to read now, but don't lose the words that Nana prayed for you. We would go see Nana and Papa, and they would pray for us. And, you know, when they came, that's when we had to do the prayer before the meal. Maybe your house was like that. Now it's in every one of our meals. We never grew up doing family worship. Do you even know what it is? A lot of homes don't do it. So when our grandkids come to the house tonight, guess what they're going to get? Family worship. It'll be late, because I'll be late, but they're getting it. What does that mean? They're in our house. They're getting God's word. We're going to pray for them, and we're going to love them. And we are going to be intentional in that order. And so, godly grandparents matter. How do you bless your grandchild? That's what I want to leave you with, is the two exhortations from God's Word today. So, 2 Timothy 1, God's Word says, Paul is speaking to Timothy. In verse 2, and I'll read it to you. It's not up on the screen, but just listen to my voice if you don't have your Bible. So Paul, speaking to Dim Timothy, says to Timothy, my dearly loved son. Isn't that kind? Wouldn't you love if Paul called you his dearly loved son or daughter? Think how gentle that is. That's a spiritual fatherhood. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Paul continues, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. Here's the key verse. Listen carefully. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am now convinced is in you also. Would that not be your epitaph? Wouldn't you want that on your tombstone? The Apostle Paul, looking him in the eyes, remembering him fondly, and saying, I remember you with tears of your, not just faith, sincere faith that passed from your parents. No, that's not true. Acts 16, verse 1, doesn't say his dad was involved. In fact, it says, that Timothy's father was a Greek and his mom was a Jewish believer. So his mom and grandmother had a huge influence on Timothy. You know Timothy because God's word records it. Lois, you only know because of Timothy. Isn't that interesting? Eunice isn't talked about in the Bible. Lois isn't talked about in the Bible, except the impact that that had on Timothy. And Timothy's mentioned multiple times in God's word for his faithfulness and sincere faith. Here we are 2,000 years later. Seven years ago, my grandmother was dying. And I was beside her at her hospital bed the day before she died. And her short-term memory was completely gone. She did not know who I was, but she knew who God was. Maybe you've had this experience. Nana was sitting there on her bed. Papa had already passed a year and a half before, 96 years old, 95 years old, excuse me, 2096. And I looked her in the eyes, and she didn't know me from Adam. But I said, Nana, what's your, what do you remember about God's word? She went on to recite verse after verse, and then we started singing Amazing Grace together. She knew every word of the song. She knew exactly how the tune went. And she sang at the top of her lungs. She died the next day. I had no idea the impact of a godly grandmother in my life. And maybe in your family's life, you are that person. Or maybe you should be that person. Maybe I should be that person. At her funeral, I had the opportunity to speak. I'm not usually very emotional, just ask Don. At least not crying type emotion, right? I was overcome at her funeral. I could barely speak because I remembered her love for God and the impact that that had on our family. They were the spiritual guardians, the disciple makers for the grandkids, our parents. How could they be that? They didn't even know the Lord themselves. And they passed the torch on. And today, my uncle's a Christian. My cousin's a Christian. He speaks around the world for, for God. I'm serving the Lord in ministry. And you know what? Godly grandparents matter. So here's the two takeaways. I'm going to steal them from someone that's brighter than I am. Tim Challies has an article called Parent Love and Grandparent Love. Tim Challies, C-H-A-L, 
L-I-E-S. Tim lost his son a couple years ago at the same school that I studied at the seminary. He has seen tremendous grief, and losing a child is a pain that only parents that have gone through it can understand. But he's handled it gracefully, and he's handled it publicly. He encourages you two things that I'm going to leave with you. He says two ways that he believes that grandparents can take the role of spiritual influence in the lives of their grandchildren. And here they are. Number one, influence through prayer. The first kind of spiritual influence comes through prayer. As elderly folk, let me read to you his words, let go of other responsibilities in life and perhaps lose the ability to be active as they once were. They gain the opportunity to pray more. Not only that, but they have heard for many years, they've had many years to grow in their knowledge of God and their relationship with God. So we trust that they're praying more than ever before and they're intimate with God more than ever before and they're closer in friendship with God more than ever before. They ought to know the power of prayer and believe in its necessity. That's number one. Number two, you can bless your children no matter what age. By blessing them with prayers, we have a book in our house called A Father's Blessing from Truth 78. Julia, who's our daughter, our grandson was in the hospital two days ago. He might still be there tonight. We're not sure. So he's only a couple months old. He's been running a fever for the last four days. They're not sure why. What does dad do when he can't be there and his daughter's 1,700 kilometers away and his grandson's in the hospital? How do I bless them? This is where the rubber hits the road. So a couple nights ago, Brooks, who was in the hospital again for the third time in the last four days, I sent her a few parts of scripture and just said, I'm praying for you, honey. And I'm praying for Brooks. Here's the exact prayer from scripture that we're praying, your mom and I. And we're also praying for salvation. See, it doesn't matter if he becomes healthy, but he dies. It only matters if he knows the Lord. So our real prayer and our real heart's burden isn't that he has 96 years of happy, healthy, wealthy. We could care less about any of that. We just care if he knows the Lord. So our prayer is aimed specifically. So when I'm blessing Julia and Brooks, I want to be intentional. So we gave her a whole thing. Here's how we're praying for you, honey. Here's how we're trusting the Lord. Here's the promises from God's word. Here's how you can rely on God's word. She needed that that night. Maybe you've needed that. We needed that. 1,700 kilometers away when your grandson's hurting is hard. But the Lord's close. God's word in our hearts matters. So when we pray for our kids, let's pray using God's word. God's word is so much more important than my words. So pray God's word. Secondly, influence through relationship. It's the kind of spiritual influence that comes through prayer. The other comes through relationship as grandparents relate to the grandchildren. This is a special kind of unique kind of love that they alone can offer. Grandparent love is a different kind of love than parent love, but it may be no less important and certainly is no less significant. Parent love is a deep and powerful, but it's the kind of love that comes with an expectation. So I'm almost finished, but listen really carefully to the last paragraph. 
It is right and good for parents to have high expectations for their children. They have to push their children to reach their potential. They have to instruct their children and disciple them to praise them and to correct them. Here's the key paragraph. As a grandparent, you can love your grandchildren freely and unconditionally and without expectation. You can pray for them. You can speak to them. You can teach them about your Savior. You can model godly living, and you can model godly dying. Wow. Proverbs 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and surely grandchildren are the greatest and brightest crown when they are following your God and walking in your ways. So, let me leave you with this question. What are you doing that's more important? What am I doing that's more important, really? I often say that to my brother and my sister. I say, I look at my parents who are now aged 82 and 81, and I think, look what constitutes their time. What would I want to do differently with our grandkids? What will we intend to do differently with our grandkids? Do we love our parents? Yes. But can they leave a spiritual legacy? No. They can only leave a relational legacy. For those that know the Lord as our Lord and Savior, we can leave a spiritual legacy that supersedes. Think about this question. Do you know your great-great-grandfather's name? Anyone? A couple? Go back one more. If I go far enough, I guarantee I'm going to lose you all. We will become nameless if the Lord tarries. But the Lord's name is what will always remain. Jesus Christ will be just as relevant in a hundred years from now as he was a hundred years before. So what are we praying for? What are we doing? Don't just be a grandparent, but be a distinctively Christian grandparent. Bless them with your days, relationally. Bless them with your words, intentionally. And bless them with your prayers, abundantly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be a parent. What a weighty responsibility it is to be a parent and grandparent. But what a joy. Help us, God, with our days to number them, to count them, and to use them wisely. Help us not to be self-focused, but to have our lives, even as the joy ministry is, aligned to Jesus first. Others in our midst that you put in our ways. And oh, how our children and grandchildren are chief among those. Help us to be prayerful, intentional, abundantly with our days that you, that you give us, God. Help us to honor you in and through this meeting. Glorify your name. Edify our minds and direct our steps to honor you, we pray. Amen. Um, behind you is a copy, uh, a picture, several pictures of our kids, our grandkids specifically. And uh, Kathy and I uh, became grandparents uh, 12 years ago. And uh, so our oldest, uh, Lucas, is 12. And then uh, we had uh, one, uh, we were on the one year plan for about five years. And we had uh, Lucas, and then Caitlin Grace, and then Josiah and Annika and uh, Carson 
And then there was a space. From going to one year plan, we went to five silent years. Five. And then Sebastian showed up. He's the one that's kind of making the ruckus coming down the slide there. And um, then, of all things, get this, on Labor Day last year, Skylar shows up. Dad was shell-shocked. And uh, it was a good thing she was born on Labor Day. It was very convincing because she was a 10-pound baby girl. <laughs> so that's kind of our family. And I just thought before I get started here today that I would just visit with you a little bit uh, so you can kind of get to know us a little bit. And uh, I think in so doing, it'll give, a, give context to what I'm going to say in just a few minutes. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Dave, and this is my wife, Kathy. Um, I was born and raised in Waterloo, Ontario. Grew up in church, First Baptist, which is a fellowship church. My wife is from the other end of the world. She's from Shreveport, Louisiana, y'all. And um, I, <clears throat> yes, she also was raised in church, Southern Baptist Church. Uh, both of us have a common in that we knew the gospel growing up, but we really didn't know the Christ of the gospel until we got in our 20s. And when we met the Lord, it made all the difference in the world. And we heard the Lord calling us to preach, and my wife has assisted me. I told her that um, even though she was interested in, in going to um, Mexico as a missionary, that God lives in the north and you should follow me to Canada. That's not exactly the way it worked, but it makes for good press. Before I forget, I want to ask um, one of our new board members, Bob Dobson. Uh, he told me, he sent an email, say, Dave, I'll be praying for you today. Um, I used to know some people at West Highlands Baptist Church. He says, I don't know if any of them are alive anymore, but if they are, say hello. So does anybody here want to admit they're alive and know Bob Dobson? Well, I guess I'll have to tell him, your friends are all in glory waiting on you. As I mentioned, Kathy and I uh, met in college, and we came to, back to Canada. We served here in churches. 27 years in Ontario, we started a church plant in Windsor, stayed there 17 years. My wife decided she needed a little more fun in her life, so she decided she'd be the manager for our daily bread. We're in a Bible class, for she did for 12 years. Uh, I was in seminary. Those were busy days. We were in uh, Michigan, Indiana for nine years, and the last ten years we've been in Calgary. Ten years ago, I kind of did, did a sidestep in ministry from being a senior pastor to being a pastor to seniors. And uh, when I arrived in Calgary, a church of about 500 members put in my hand a list of 175 seniors. I thought, what am I going to do with all this? So that summer, started in June, Kathy and I decided to get busy and go, go out and visit in the homes. And so we talk and we find out and listen and find out their families and everything. And so we'd end our conversations usually like this. So how, does, how is it that I can pray for you? What is on your heart, and what can we take to the Lord in prayer? We began hearing things repetitively. Pray for my daughter. She's experiencing, she's embraced an alternate lifestyle. 
Pray for my son. He and his wife are breaking up. Pray for my grandchildren. They're not in church. And this was not isolated. It became more of a pattern. The unusual was uh, our family's all in church, pastor, and everything's great. I said, praise God. But it became painfully aware to me that we're losing our kids. And we're losing the generations that are coming after us. So I began to ask myself that summer, what in the world can we do for this dilemma? Because it is a dilemma. If I was to ask you this morning, do you have any children that need the Lord? Do you have any grandchildren that need the Lord? I expect that probably every hand would raise, including mine. Is there anything more important in our lives than our children and our grandchildren? Then what we need to do is we need to start talking about it. It's a subject that even though as a pastor, I preached the word and tried to be faithful to it, didn't embrace till over six years ago. Six years ago was the first time I ever preached a sermon on grandparenting. And I asked the staff that we had together, and of all the, the meaning of those, that group, only one person could say they ever heard a sermon on grandparenting. That same summer, <clears throat> I had to develop a meeting. There was an intergenerational meeting, banquet, that we're trying to have to get the generations together and try to encourage them to relate to one another. And I needed a speaker. God brought into my life at that point a guy by the name of Kevin Harper. Kevin uh, had been working at the business of grandparenting for a long time, in fact, about 20 years at that point, written this wonderful book called Courageous Grandparenting, Building a Legacy Worth Outliving You. And he also has something called a grand camp. Our oldest, Lucas, was two years old. I said, a grand camp? Yes, really? You have that? You take grandkids, take their grandkids 6 through 13 to this grand camp, and you have fun. And you learn stuff. Wow. Sign me up for that. Well, I got signed up all right, and I became the camp director of the first grand camp in Canada four years later. Then Kevin called me up and said, um, we're having a conference. I've got a bunch of people together. We're going to, to Chicago, and we're going to start a grandparent conference. We hope to have it going this year. It was 2016. He said, would you like to go? I said, sure. We went. Kathy and I thought we were good grandparents. We'd do overnights, and we did, you know, did, did the sugar, sugar them up, have fun, and send them home thing. You know, you know how to do that. And all of a sudden, we found out there's another way that's far better. And uh, I want to talk to you about that today in the next few minutes. And I hope that now that I've got your attention about some of the people that it's the most important in your life, that you will give attention to some things I have to say to you today that can be absolute game changers because they were for us in our life. Now, let me begin by saying the grandparent ministry is not a new program. The grandparenting ministry is a new movement that God is raising up to assist grandparents to accomplish this one goal 
to pass on a legacy of faith to the next, plural, plural generations. Intentionally directive, passing on your faith to the next generations. Now, I want to illustrate my point today with the use of a relay. You have seen a relay race before. And so what I'm going to need to, to do is to have four volunteers. To begin with, I want the, uh, the, most, uh, the oldest, most active person here in the, in the meeting to be my first volunteer. Do I have a volunteer that's over 80 that can participate in this really race? Where's your hand? Anybody? Okay, right up here. Come on up here. Then I want the youngest one. Kim, you look like you're a pretty good person. You come on up here. Actually, she, she was voluntold. <laughs> so we're going to put you on that end. Now, so, so we got the youngest to the oldest at this end, okay? So now we're going to have to find something in between. So she already, I think she's a 40-something. Okay, I won't go into that. We won't get into meddling here. To an 80-something, right? So I need something, but it's two people in between. I need a 60-something and a 70-something. Do I have a 60-something? Where's the youngster? Okay, they're okay. And I need somebody in the 70s. Where's the 70s? Oh, right there. Come on right up here. All right, I knew we got to have a senior guy in here. All right. Now, how many have seen a relay race? You know how it works? You guys know how it works? Okay, I want, to, want, to, want you to spread out. And uh, Wal, is it Walter? Warren, I'm sorry, Warren. Can I get you to move down that way just another five feet? And we'll kind of space you out along here. So I'm going to go ahead and... Um, Where are they running to? Well, just a minute. I'll get that. <laughs> details, details. So this is my makeshift baton. I kind of lost mine, so this is we're going to do, this is going to do for it. Okay, so what you, when I say go, Kim's going to go and pass on the baton, like a, you do in a good relay race, and so forth. And so the, 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 hopefully the last person, the, the third person that gets the baton is going to pass it to Warren, and we'll be all done. So this you've probably seen before, so on your mark, get set, ready, Go! All right. Now, that is a really race. Now, if I ever, I haven't talked to you guys about this. We don't have to discuss this. We're, everybody's okay. This time, we're going to change the way it looks. And so I'm going to say to Kim, Kim, last time you stopped. I don't want you to stop. What will that look like? Can you influence her to keep going with you? We'll see what happens. On your mark, get set, ready, go! All right, and what happened? Thank you very much. Would you give him applause? Why did I do that? A simple little exercise, you say that's a bunch of foolishness. No, it isn't. I want to change your mindset today as to what grandparenting does and should ought to be. You think, and many think, and the culture has said to us, I do my time, I pass the baton, and I'm done. 
Would you wipe that image out of your mind completely? Forget the first one. Start thinking and focusing on the impact of the second one, because when we want to get to the end, we want to have all the generations together at the finish line for glory. Does that make sense? That's about as graphic as I can make it. And I want to explain that as we go along this, this morning. It has been said that we live in a rootless society. Instinctively, every human being has an innate desire to belong. God knew that because he made us. He was our creator. And he wanted to, us to flesh it, that out. Loneliness is dreaded because our desire for community from the very beginning is sourced in the very heart of our creator and our God. And the Bible says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, I love this, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, <clears throat> and over every living creature that moves on the ground, God saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What God does is good. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our spiritual DNA. It really is. This is God's grand vision for the family. And it is a vision that has not changed in the heart and mind of God in spite of the disobedience of our original parents and the dis difficulties that they've created throughout all time. In fact, in the very first family, the elder brother Cain became so jealous of his younger brother Abel that he killed him, took his life. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning. Should we be surprised if we have problems in our modern-day families. It's an age-old problem. It's not a new one. But let's go back again and say, God hasn't changed his desire in terms of the family. And I want to come back and try to capture that grand vision for the family today. I want to champion once again. And I want us to help us see with clarity God's beautiful design and specifically... The roles that God has for you in this grand vision that God has for the family. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to embrace two supporting actors. Grandpa and Grandma. And the amazing impact, influence that you can have in the context of something that's wonderful that God has instituted and blessed called the family. We need to link arm with arms in our endeavors to conduct God's grand design for the family through a fresh commitment of the mission of God and then to desire to pass it on right to the end to the next generations. What is it we need to see? What is it that we need to hear? so that God's grand mission for the family can become more than just good intentions, 
but godly realities. I want to take time just to share some thoughts with you this morning. First of all, what we need to hear. Well, there's a lot of things we hear out there. And to begin with, let me just talk about the voice of culture. And when we talk about the voice of culture, we get a lot of mixed messages. Now, the traditional role of grandparents prior to the pre-industrial era, that would be in my grandparents' great-grandparents' era, was one of patriarchal control. And uh, there's a lot of top-down uh, uh, authority there that was exercised over younger generations. Now, the early 20th century experienced a growing number of negative articles about grandparents, including Grandma made Johnny delinquent and the grandmother a problem in child rearing. Research of grandparents' roles in the 1950s found that friendship and informality with little or no authority in the family had replaced the old top-down patriarchal approach in the past. In 1969, oh, the wonderful 60s, this guy by the name of Boyd, uh, Peter Boyd, initiated something called the home plate. It was a theory that a grandparent's home is, is a place where grandparents are better off outside of the nuclear family. So what we're doing is he's suggesting home plate to be disconnection of grandparents from mom, dad, and the kids. The theory suggests that grandparents provide a place for family gatherings and vacations, but should remain in their own home, separated from their children and their grandchildren. The disconnect, if you will. In 1981, Cornopper and Woodward identified several roles for grandparents, including mentor, role model, wizard, nurturer, expanding the list later in 2004 to ancestor, buddy, hero, historian, spiritual guide, student, teacher. Take your pick. It can be any or all of them. He wrote, and I quote, the instinct to grandparent is as natural as the instinct to parent. So then if that's true, why do we separate them? Why do we expose ourselves and imbibe the whole concept of home plate where we divide the generations? So if the instinct to grandparent is natural, then a grandchild... When a grandchild is born, isn't, would it not be true that grandparents immediately feel the need to do something? Do you remember when you first saw your first grandchild? What came to your heart? I want to step away. I don't want to have anything to do with them. No, you want to run to them and pick them up and hold them and talk to them. and On and on it goes. Hasn't changed. But when we think about that, it kind of begs the question, okay, so then what do I need to do? You know, literature today reveals a wide and varying perspective regarding the place and purposes of grandparents. A guy by the name of Steele wrote in Grandparenting in the 21st Century, and I quote, Unlike any other primary family roles, there are not specific norms for grandparenting, end of quote. 
Throwing out the wood. We don't know what to do. There's no longer norms in the culture. Isn't, don't you find that a little confusing? I want to do something, but he's saying, we don't really have anything to tell you as to how to do it. Clavin, a guy called a grandparenthood a roleless role, Arthur Kornopper, a child and family psychiatrist, exposed the model, this model in which grandparents function in modern-day families as the quote-unquote new social contract. Stay with me, I'm almost done. The impact of this social contract is summarized by Kornhopper in the following statement, and I quote, This family contract designated the principles of emotional and personal independence, autonomy, with absolutely no enmeshment with one's family of origin. As a result, many of us lead disconnected lives. This is exaggerated by increased geographical mobility and economic opportunity, meaning that the kids, they move to where the jobs are, and the seniors move to the Sun Belt. It's an amazing thing that, you know, seniors would spend their Christmas sitting in a trailer park, enjoying the sun and the company of strangers rather than choose to be with their own children and grandchildren. So when children come along and support is needed, we find ourselves independent, autonomous for sure, but also alone, overboard, overburdened, and disconnected. And friends, that is not God's grand vision for the family. The social contract, he said, has amputated the generations that left countless grandchildren as grand orphans with no personal relationship with an elderly person. And I want to say that the erroneous idea that's coming from our culture that, that says, I raised my children, I am done, must be replaced with parenting is a permanent responsibility. They still need us. And we still need to be involved in their lives. Message from the culture. A lot of mixed messages. Secondly, let me talk to you about the voice from the past. Voice of our culture, the voice from the past. And I want to talk here about the matter of courage and inspiration. On the screen there, you hear this, see this quote by German philosopher Hegel, who said, the one thing we've learned from history is that we don't learn from history. That seems to be the underlying concern of a guy by the name of Asaph, who is the writer of Psalm 78. And in many ways, his times are similar to our own. Asaph endeavors... <clears throat> you see, to remind the nation of Israel, who is likened to a family of God's design for their existence. And the stewardship responsibility that they have is to carry on those traditions, those truths to the next generations. He wants us to see a grand vision for what we do, but not only what we do, but 
why we do it. Why are we born? I believe the reason marriage and family exist is to steward the mission of God from one generation to the next. It is a trust God places in our hands. And it's something that needs to be passed on. Several years ago, CNN carried the funeral of the legendary entertainer, Sammy Davis Jr. And at the memorial service, entertainer Gregory Hines gave a tribute in which he shared the tremendous impact of Sammy in his life. He told about how he would sneak into the Apollo Theater in Harlem to see Sammy Davis perform. He talked about the generous support that Davis had given to him to help launch his career. Two weeks prior to Davis' death to throat cancer, Hines visited him in his apartment. After sharing many tearful and fond memories, Hines got up to leave. As he approached the door, he heard this shuffling noise. It was Davis coming after him. As he turned around, he looked and he saw the man go like this. Okay. Are we still here? Okay. He went like this, as if to say to him, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. This session is called Hands on Grandparenting. What is it that God has placed in our hands? What is it that God wants us to pass on? to the next, plural, generations. Asaph was concerned that Israel had forgot its holy why. He was concerned that they had lost their noble vision. So he reminds God's family about the mission here in Psalm chapter 78. Psalm 78 of all the passages in the word of God on grandparenting and the business of passing on the message to the next generation is, is without a doubt my favorite. And just a couple of verses I want to ex excerpt from it, beginning at verse 5. He, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generations might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. What is it that we hold in our hands? What is it we need to pass on to the next generation? I believe we need to pass on, to begin with, a sense of passion that drives us with the process that will, that will get us there for a product that we envision becomes a reality. Let me break down, break down those, th those three things. What is the passion that drives us? Right here in Scripture, I think it's framed by two things, just like bookends. To begin with, it is the character of God. His redemptive power was on glorious display at the Exodus in the Red Sea. 
If you have been read, read through the Bible at all, and in particular the Old Testament, over and over and over again are allusions to the Exodus and the Red Sea. It was such an important defining moment in the nation of Israel. And God says through his servant <clears throat> Moses in, Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 1 and 2, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that, notice, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you keep, uh, live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Every generation needs to engage. We really do. We spend a lot of time the, these days exegeting the culture. We know about the builders and the boomers and the Gen Xers and the millennials. Nothing wrong with that. But no matter what clothes you wear in history, your job is to steward the mission of God and his good works, the message of the gospel to the next generations. Now, there are understandably three sections, divisions of adult life. 20 to 40, we are learning. 40 to 60, we are largely leading. 60 and beyond, we begin to think about leaving. We all need to participate, to engage, to contribute at every age and stage in life to carry out God's grand vision for the family. Now, but not only is the character of God that drives us, but also I want you to notice it's the content of Scripture. Now, the Bible is the voice of God. His word tells us how to arrive at our desired destination, our eternal home. We need to have a firm grasp of the truth of Scripture, but we cannot expect the next generation to buy into our legalistic edicts. But what they need to hear is how God has and is working in your life. Character of God, the content of Scripture is the passion that drives us. Now, what about the process that delivers it? In Psalm 78, verses 5b and 6, we, uh, we hear, see the word teach there. And the word teach is not a pedantic, but used in the sense of a very passionate effort using every means possible. The psalmist was not saying, here are the lines you've got to follow, and if you don't, you won't get there. But he's saying, no, passionately engage with the next generation with all your heart. I believe this is the message of Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 through 9. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands <clears throat> and bind them on your foreheads. <clears throat> Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. And uh, I think what, this, what 
Moses is trying to say to us is simply this. Do not minimize the trivial little things that you do for your children and your grandchildren. They're watching and you're teaching them. Passion, the process, where are we going with this? The product. The product that we want to see become a reality. Again, let me give you verse 7, Psalm 78. So that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is the end game. This is what we want them to be. Now, in order to achieve this goal, we must be immersed in the vision of God in lieu of our expiration date so that future generations will have a confidence in God, a sense of history, and the will to obey. Let us live that we might speak to them, <clears throat> if you will, from the grave. Speak to them from the grave. As Hebrews 11 verse 4 declares, By faith, <clears throat> excuse me, by faith Abel brought a, God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. When your family says their final goodbye to you, what is it that you will be speaking to them? Let me illustrate somebody that had a tremendous impact on my life, my maternal grandfather. Delton Snyder was an amazing guy. He lived to almost 96, 96, almost 97. He died on my birthday. He was an extremely generous person who did so many things, and if I took the time to show and share those things, we'd be here another hour. Grandpa was a, a businessman of integrity who once thought he'd become a preacher, but their selection process was erroneous, and he said, but God had something else to do. He said, I became a Bible teacher. On his way out to the hospital, two weeks prior to his death, he said to me, David, would you preach my funeral sermon? And I said, I'd be honored to, Grandpa. And he says, this is what I want you to preach. John 6. Jesus said to Peter, will you also go away? He said, no, Lord, because we believe that you are the one that have eternal life. When we go by Waterloo, I like to go by the graveside just to stand there to remember and to let them preach to me. When we're gone, when our expiry date comes, what is it that you want to stand, that you want to send the message to to the next generations? 
Finally, I want to end with the voice of hope, and that's overcoming our failures. Some of you may, and I, I meet, we meet grandparents all the time who feel like they failed or are failing or can't accomplish anything. And you say, what's the use? They're not interested in me or the gospel that I believe in. Well, I think the example of sinful King Manasseh who turned to God in his latter life is a good example. Even though his son, Ammon, followed his ungodly ways, his grandson, Josiah, became one of the godliest kings of Israel, impacted. Why? Because his grandfather's heart was changed later in life. What am I saying? It's never too late. It's never too late. You feel like maybe your fa family is embedded in a habitual pattern of sin. Spoken of in Exodus chapter 20, it says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children of, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Embedded in God's heart is a heart of mercy. And once again, would you hear the words of Exodus 34? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to answer anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I love that phrase, steadfast love. The pastor that I served with in Calgary before I resigned, he, we were talking one day in staff meeting, and he's saying, I'm trying to figure out what I need to preach next. Would you give me some suggestions? And both myself and the other assistant on staff kind of said the same thing. You need to preach on the character of God. And guess what he chose? What passage? It's this one here. Exodus 34. I was amazed for over six weeks. He preached on this passage, but underscored in my life, in my heart, once again, the steadfast love of our God. You know, the last message of the Old Testament, it has a message of hope and forgiveness. He God will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. After 400 silent years, the first message that was proclaimed by John was to prepare the hearts of God's people for the Messiah. And I quote from Luke chapter 1, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, and they will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the unjust to make ready for the Lord's people prepared. You know, I believe that our covenant-keeping God, the one who promised to bless us and make us fruitful in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, delights to bring spiritual prosperity to his family. And his, it is his character that motivates me to be an intentional Christian grandparent. I want to just bring this to a conclusion by showing a little video clip by Derek Redman.
And it challenges us to get out of the stands and into the game. We've been taught to just to sit back, to let it ride, let them go. I might pray, but it, this, this video, I think, will challenge you to think about getting out of the stands and into the game to invest intentionally in the lives of our children and grandchildren. Let me play it, please, now.
These are life and de death issues. These are our children and our grandchildren. Will you get out of the stands and into the game? Will you commit to being an intentional Christian grandparenting? One that says, I love God. I love my kids and my grandkids. And I want to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed my soul. Limping, maybe. We're looking for the finish line. And being there together with all of them. How can we help? One of the things we can do is share with you some wonderful resources. These books aren't for sale, but let me just mention them. Ten years ago, you could have counted the number of resources for a grandparent on two hands. Now we have a plethora of them on our web page. We've got about a listing of 198. Never too late. Encouraging faith in your adult child. I read this book. It changed a lot of things for me. Anybody have a prodigal? I do. I had to deal with that. I had to get low before God. I had to sit down and write a letter. We had to have a hard conversation. I like to say that everything is well and perfect, but I will say this, in Thanksgiving, the kids were in church with us, all of us the one that hadn't been there for years. Never too late. Gap, prayer meeting, a grandmother's prayers, center to all ministries prayer. You need to consider about writing your own personal legacy. Here's a book about that. How do I deal with what our kids are thinking? What's a biblical worldview? Do you know what it is? Could you recognize the false falsehoods that kids are getting? Biblical Worldview by Dr. Josh Mulvihill. What about for those that are raising your own grandchildren? Here's a book by Kevin Harper, Raising Your Grandchildren in Custodial Grandparents. Biblical Grandparenting. There's another. Discipling Your Grandchildren. And of course, I've already mentioned Kevin Harper's book, Courageous Grandparenting, and this is a revised this and many other good places to go. That's how we can help you. Today begins the annual Grandparent Summit Legacy Coalition. Amazing thing, it started in 2016. We, was, we went to the very first one today. They're in Jacksonville, Florida, and the, 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 the cast, the, um, the summit, the Grandparent Conference, is being broadcast at over 110 simulcast sites. They also have a Grand Monday night. You can turn in, tune in, get some interesting ideas and concepts and tools to help you with the grandparenting ministry. We have been doing grand camps, a time for grandparents to take their six through 13 year olds to camp, where we instruct you to help your grandkids and to help you become intentional disciple makers of them. And of course, our GAP prayer ministry, Grandparents at Prayer. I want you to make sure you go by the, grand, the table back there. There are some cards. They're prayer cards. They're cards that help you pray a, a different spiritual, biblical truth 
over your grandchild every day of the month. You will find an amazing thing when you begin to pray scripture over your children and your grandchildren. They're there. Now, it's 5-2, and I want to do some Q&A, but maybe we'll let, we'll, we'll, let me just wrap it up. And if you want to hang around and talk, we can do that. I'd love to talk to you. But I want to just leave you with, you say, okay, you, you, you said, I got to do this. Now, how do I do this? I can't explain all of that in five minutes. But let me just take, let, you, let, you, let you go home with just one little concept. And this is a thumbnail sketch, if you will, of a blessing that um, we have used with tremendous power and uh, help over the years in our ministry here as we've done this. It tells you how to be intentional. In James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Blessing is sourced in the character of God, friends, and we need to remember that. I don't know about you, but I was a kid that raised in, in Christian home. We did not have cursing in our home, but we never had a blessing. Why hasn't the Christian church been in the business of blessing people? It is sourced in the character of God. I already mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, that God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. When Jesus had his coming out party for his public ministry, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I am well pleased. I believe God set an example for us that day that we should do. A blessing is not a prayer. We pray, pray to God for someone. But a blessing is speaking a good word to someone for God. Do you know that you can speak to others and be a blessing to them? It was a blessing, and I want to give a blessing for all of you this morning, modeled after, after the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 26. And may I say to all of you that has been able to be here today, May the Lord, God of the scriptures, bless you with courage as you begin a fresh journey in life to become an intentional Christian grandparent. May the Lord give you grace for the relational challenges you face with your family, becoming godly, a godly example that God intended you to be. And may the Lord God grant you the peace of his presence that gives you the confidence to move forward to do his will. May God bless us all. Amen.